The Women in Media podcast is proudly sponsored by Organic Traditions for spring 2024. Stay tuned for a special deal during this episode. I'm Sarah Burke, and this is the Women in Media podcast. Not sure if you're ready for my next guest. She is a multi-platinum, award-winning singer-songwriter, actor, author, broadcaster, and podcast host herself. The president of the record company at the time offered to give me a lift home, and it's not what you think it was. It was nothing gross like that. We were driving, and he was smoking a cigar. He was a huge man. He took up the whole backseat of the limousine. He was dropping me off, and he goes, you know, Jan, you're, you're 30 pounds away from superstar in this country. I didn't know what to say, so I got into the hotel, and I phoned my mom, collect. I told her the story, told me I was 30 pounds away from superstardom. And, and she says, well, why didn't you tell him you didn't want to gain any more weight? And I thought, oh my God, that's my mom. That's where I come from. Jan Arden is my guest today. That's all the time we have, Sarah, so. <laughs> well, nice. I like your glasses. Thank you. They're new. I just got them this week, literally. I really love them. Thank you. So, Jan, I don't know how much you know about my podcast, but the Women in Media podcast is a place where I'm looking at the challenges, the triumphs, the celebrations of women in the spotlight. And you very much cover that with your career and perfect timing with a new record. Congratulations on record number 15. How are the nerves coming into this one? You've done this so many times. I, I don't even people are like, what do you do when a record comes out? I'm like, what do you mean? What do I do? I don't do anything. I, <laughs> I walk down the road with the dog and I don't know if people envision some kind of wild party, but I do remember back in the day, I've been with, uh, with Universal, which was A&M at the time, for yeah. 30 years this year. So I, I'm gobsmacked that I've been there this long. Some of the people are still there with me. The guy who signed me, Alan Reed, he's, he runs the Junos now. He's with Karis, and he runs the Junos. So we still you know work together and see each other. But um, there's no nerves at all. I have so little pressure on me. The universal is so fantastic with me. They don't A&R me. Uh, A&R me. It sounds like, that sounds like a weird word. They don't do any kind of oversight or overlordish. You know, we're really going to need a couple of tunes to take to a uh, hot 100. Uh, rate. I don't, I send them songs. Like there's 15 songs on this record, which meant that I couldn't even do vinyl because it won't fit. It would have to be a double vinyl, which is an impossible thing to do in this in climate. Vinyl companies are backed up to the hill. Anyway, no pressure, zero, nothing. I feel it's going to have a life of its own. And I don't know. I don't think it'll ever see the light of day on radio. I don't know how radio even works anymore, Sarah, but I, I'm so not even concerned about that. Why did you call the record Descendant? Just because of thinking about my, my great-grandmother in particular, to back up a little bit, this, this whole pandemic thing is it's affected everybody very differently. And to me, I'm just like, I wonder what our ancestors would actually think. I wonder what my great grandmother would, I wonder what my grandmother would think of this. Never mind my mother. My mother passed away like three years ago, but I'm just thinking they would probably be rolling their eyeballs going really everybody. You need to wear a mask and it's a bit of an inconvenience. And yeah, there's been horrible deaths and people getting really, really sick. I'm not at all taking away from the profound loss that people have experienced from jobs to relatives to kids in school. And it's, it really is a cluster of massive proportions. But what I'm saying is it, it is part of our humanness. This is what happens to human beings. Stuff comes up, plagues, droughts, famines, 
And I don't know how this particular group of individuals that are wandering the planet now think that, well, that, no, I've only got one tick. I've only, do, you, do you only have one bar in yours? Like that's the biggest problem that people are having if they lose their internet. So I think this has been a real eye-opener to know we are not exempt from that. And uh, my, my great-grandmother was 46 years old when she died, giving birth to her 17th child. My, my great-uncle my great Winston, whom I knew as a young girl, I knew a lot of my great-aunts and uncles. I, I miss them a lot. My Aunt Sue and my Aunt Ern, Ernestine, who was named after my great-grandmother. Um, 17 kids that lived in a really small little place. And you hear those stories all the time. It's not indigenous to me. If you're on the prairies and you were out here, most of the kids that I know had massive, bigger families that they came from. Pretty common. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it just made me think about where I was from and Ernestine Zato dying at 46 years old, somewhere two, two and a half hours north of where I'm living right now. I wonder what she would think of me and the house that I'm living in and what I've done with my life. And I'm very grateful to her that they got me here somehow. It's a miracle that you and I are talking. It means that everyone that we came through had to survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, looking at feminism from that point you're talking about with your ancestors through to when your career started and now, did you give any thought to how they would think of your role as a woman in, in society? I think they'd be incredibly profoundly touched. I think they'd be really proud. I know my mom was really proud of me. She said, you have been able to just do whatever you want. I've been asked so many times about how making my way in the early days, in the 90s, 80s even, as a woman, you know, how that affected the way I made my way through the world. And it really didn't. I never, I never had terrible experiences. I mean, yeah, I had things that didn't exactly go my way, but I, I never, I wasn't that type of a person. I never felt less than or unequal to I could always go into a room and fill it up and I could always be intimidating. And I was never the cute little girl in the corner because I didn't sexual sexualize myself. I didn't go in and I'm not saying you can wear what you want and do what you want, but I was very steadfast about just lyrics and melodies and music. And, and I had really no intention of getting anywhere, but I was never because I wouldn't do anything in the world to get to where I was going. They didn't have any leverage with me and I never took anything. I never even took a publishing advance in my life. Early days, I never took it because I didn't want to be beholding to anyone. You know, it's, it's very tempting when they're like, you know, we'll give you a hundred K up front, you know, on the publishing. And then you're desperate and you're like, okay, I never did. So they could, they had nothing to push against me. Mm-hmm. Well, we, you know, we gave you that money. So Going into this record, we'd like you to blah, blah, blah. I just, I never was in that position. I don't, I don't know if it was dumb luck or what it was, but I was never intimidated. I never let anybody bully me or belittle me. And I think it was because of my mom. Kindness is another theme, you know, on the on this record, especially kindness to your younger self. At least that's what I picked up on. Really? Um, yeah, especially in, in the new single. Was I ever 13? Was I ever 13? It's about reflecting. That's what you do. I mean, I'm going to be 60 years old in March. And uh, I I feel better now than when I did when I was certainly that age. We have so many ex- experiences to dwell on. You're so 
I'm very sure of myself. I'm very certain about things that I do in my life. And I'm, I don't, uh, there's nobody that's going to tell me what to do or how to do it. It's a very unique place to be in. I was definitely someone who struggled with self-esteem, I would say growing up. So it's, I'm so proud of myself that I have yeah, you know, arrived be. at this place. And especially like, you know, somebody turning 60 in that song specifically, you sort of touch on those beauty ideals at a young age too, in, in the lyrics. You also happen to put out a new episode of the Jan Arden podcast where you're like, didn't mean to do a whole episode on body image, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I was listening to that, but here's the quote I pulled from that. It's a never ending journey to feeling good in your own skin. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, do I ever feel that? Well, a lot of women, I'm going to say a great majority of them from every age, spend a great deal of their lives wanting to lose 10 pounds or 15 (laughs) pounds. It, it niggles away at them their entire lives. If I was only there and they wake up and their day is ruined by the time it's 10 a.m. because those pants that I want to get into, they don't fit right. Just buy bigger pants. Feel I mean, good in pan- those pants. The pandemic has taught us everything, anything. It's just to let go of somebody else's idea of you. I mean, it's, it's big business. You know, Oprah Winfrey's on there with Weight Watchers touting, be your best self, be the best version of yourself, lose 30 pounds in three months or whatever the fuck. I'm sure that's completely unreasonable to lose 30 pounds in three months. So I didn't mean that. I I know not what I talk of, but I'm like, what a state to be in. Um, And I tell this story a lot when I, when Insensitive was, it was a huge hit in like 94 and I was in the States. I was in LA because I was a co-share between A&M America and A&M in Toronto. I was a co-sign. It hadn't been really done before. So I happened to be in LA doing some work and I was, I had been at this big thing with C.C. Peniston and Amy Grant and all these big artists like in the 90s from A&M and Anyway, I was going home and the president of the record company at the time offered to give me a lift home. And it's not what you think it was. It was nothing gross like that. We were driving and he was smoking a cigar. He was a huge man. He took up the whole backseat of the limousine. And I was staying at the, uh, on, on Hollywood Boulevard somewhere. And he was dropping me off and he goes, you know, Jan, you're, you're 30 pounds away from superstar in this country. And he's puffing away in the cigarette. And, I didn't know what to say. I just sat there like, so I got into the hotel and I phoned my mom, collect, fucking collect because there was no cell phones. It was like 1994. And she gets on the phone and she's like, I told her the story, told me I was 30 pounds away from superstardom. And, and she says, well, why didn't you tell him you didn't want to gain any more weight? And I thought, oh my God, that's the best. That's my mom. And that's where she gets her humor, ladies and gentlemen. Bit of bang. And <laughs> And when I hung up the phone, I thought, that's where I come from. These are my people. And I never really made it in the States, as per se. I mean, I should slap myself right now. Insensitive was huge. And I sold millions of records down there. But I I didn't, I wasn't that, I wasn't Sarah McLaughlin. I wasn't Katie Lang. I wasn't Alanis Morissette. I wasn't Avril Lavigne. I wasn't Shania. I wasn't Celine. I wasn't any of those Canadian girls. I just never really made it there. I had one song, but I never wanted to. I didn't, those weren't my aspirations. And when I really sat back and thought, what do I, I didn't, I just didn't aspire to that. Mm -hmm. And I suppose I could have 
got a trainer and I wouldn't even let, I let them dress me once for the David Letterman show, the people at the label. I was so uncomfortable. They had backcomb my hair. I was in this shiny blue Donna Karan suit. The backcomb, it's like, oh, we're positioning her as rock and roll. (laughs) I don't even know what it was, Sarah. Like I just, and I, after I did that, I thought never again, I'm going to wear my jeans and my jackets and I'm going to wear this skirt and I'm going to wear these. Uh, And I never did it again. Mm -hmm. And they just thought I was very difficult to work with. You know, I was told that I was unmanageable. Wondering though, like being on your face is everywhere. You're on the social media, you're, you know, with the podcast, the TV show, all the things. What do you think the Jan Arden in LA at that time would have done with all the extra the other extensions of you that you offer to your I, I audience. think it's so gradual. I, I wouldn't have, I, I, it never even dawned on me then. I mean, I was only uh, considering the, the TV show. I think I was turning 55. A colleague that I work with, Leah Gauthier, who's one of the co-creators of the Jan show. She's like, you know, these producers want to talk to you about, you know, scripted television. I'm like, are you insane? I said, I'm not an actor. You want me to follow us? <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so anyway, long story short, another year went by and my manager, Bruce Allen, said, you know, you should should talk to them and consider it. And so Leah, she flew out here to my place and we wrote, I'm like, what's a pitch sheet? She goes, well, it's like, you know, what, what is the show? Can you explain it in one page or less? And who are the characters? And and so we came up with this thing and, and I said, well, if we do anything, we'd have to shoot it in Calgary because my mom has Alzheimer's and I'm looking after her. And so there was all these caveats and they're like, well, I don't think that'll be a problem. I'm like, oh my God, I might actually have to do this. So sometimes in life, it's not aspirational. It doesn't always have to be aspirational. It's just doing things and trying them regardless if they're successful or not. I'm always Mm -hmm. like, if you're doing things to be successful, then you're missing all the enjoyment. Just Mm -hmm. do them. You don't even have to be good at them. I'm not a good actor at all. Did that TV show bring you a bunch of joy too that you were Oh my God, we're still having a blast. We're we're working on getting the financing now for season four. Season four. And, um, you know, there's 140 people that work on the show and we shoot it in in and around Alberta and uh, actually very close to where I live. I live in a place called Rocky View County which is west of Calgary. And um, it's just been a blast. And I'm just learning. And I'm not afraid of failing. I couldn't have said that at 40. I think I was afraid of failing at 40. I I don't think a lot of women would say that. And now I don't care if I fail. I don't care what people think. I don't care. And it's not apathy. It's self-confidence. Because it's not, I don't take it personally. Just because I, this doesn't work out, we may not get season four. It's an expensive show to make. We'll see what happens. Um, but it's certainly nothing personal to me or anything like that. And, and I will go on <laughs> to do other things and I will develop another television show. And it's something that I like to do. It opened a, a did, new door yeah, and a new chapter. It, just, it opened a door. Mm-hmm. And it's just about trying things. But you know, the core of me is music. And, you know, I'm under time constrictions. I look at someone like Cher and Bette Midler singing well into their 70s and, and doing these shows. Olivia Newton-John, I went and saw her in Vegas. You know, all these women that I grew up listening to are, are in their 70s, if not 80s now. But I'm like, those are my people. I'm like, okay, that's the model. So in a perfect world, yeah, I've got another decade. If I'm singing well, I'll, I'll keep doing it. 
One thing that I, I love that you have always uh, spoken about that's not always covered, especially when we're talking about musicians, is like the entrepreneurial spirit of it all. Um, I went back and listened to that uh, episode you did with Arlene, just because, I mean, the two of you are two pieces yeah. of pot anyway. But, yeah. you know, that's you talking to a friend, right? So there was like a different level of chemistry between you guys and a level of honesty that I really appreciated. And I don't think anyone looks at musicians as entrepreneurs still in 2022. I think people associate it with the machine. But you have had to do everything from bookkeeping to booking events and shows for yourself over the years too. It's the music, music business. If we're talking about business and being an entrepreneur in music, what was your biggest lesson learned? Well, people may not want to hear this, but talent is obsolete because it's a subjective thing in any art. And persistence is your friend. Consistency and persistence. Because what happens with persistence is you get better if you're mediocre, you get better if you keep doing it. Open mic nights, writing constantly with people, getting in a white panel van and touring these shitty little places all over the world, you know, going to the Yukon and Yellowknife and Dawson City and Smithers, British Columbia and Churchill, Manitoba and playing in hotels where there's fights breaking out and there's, you know, more waitresses than there are customers. Um, persistence, talent, you know, plays a little bit of a role, but it's not gonna, unless you're Mozart, which is, an, there's always exceptions to the rule, right? There's Ariana Grande and there's people that are exceptionally talented, but the rest of the field, you turn on the radio, it's questionable. If you like a song that's highly produced, it's huge production. You know, I'm always like, are we ever gonna see these people standing on a stage with a guitar and a piano just singing their songs? I doubt it. Most of those people won't ever tour. They certainly won't tour 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it's consistency, persistence, steadfastness. It's all those human qualities that define character. Um, I think there's a crazy statistic, like 93% of the people that you hear on the radio right now will be gone in two years. Yeah. TikTok songs. Yeah. There's very few people that, that break through. And then you have to decide at some point, what's your currency? What is your currency going to be? Is it going to be the work or is it going to be likes? Is it going to be, you know, setting up a shot on your Instagram for three days to get it just right and outdoing your likes and just driving yourself crazy with that. But I, but I'm old enough to, to not be hung on that whole idea. There's mm-hmm. money to be made, but it's temporary. So hang on to it, hang on to it because it doesn't last but it is, it's definitely a business, but I mean, longevity and to stay in something for a long, long time, it's just, it's building your catalog. It's building your fan base. It's having that kind of loyalty. Like it's the work that's perpetuated what I do. It's not my body. It's not my sexuality. It's, that was never a currency for me. I didn't look that way to begin with. So I knew as a young woman, you know, I had confidence, but like you said, I had no self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It somehow worked and I was able to curate and be very authentic to myself. What do I have to offer? So I, I thought being myself was the best route for me to take instead of creating somebody that didn't exist. I love how you just said that. So with words being your currency, you know, it started with words in your music. Now there's words in TV shows and podcasts and, and scripts that you're working on. When did the comedy door open and how did it open? 
Well, I don't know if you've ever seen a live show of mine, but from the time I was 18 years, I mean, in high school, I was a very funny kid. I was a very funny kid in junior high school. I was just funny. And I liked it. I went to a school with 40 kids. I went to, I, I still live where I grew up. And it was a very, very small school. I still drive by the school that is hooked on to the hockey arena. <laughs> Welcome to rural Alberta. Love it. The, the, the fucking arena is hooked on to the school. Anyway, <laughs> when I got into little clubs, like when I started 19, 20, 21, being in bars and singing Sheena Easton tunes and, and Led Zeppelin, you wouldn't believe the covers we did. I mean, at one point I even played trumpet a little bit in, in these bands. Oh, I need but to see would, a photo of this. Yeah. Oh, there's not many exist. Thank God. But I, um, we'd only know 12 songs and usually you had to do like four 45 minute sets in between the peelers. I'm not kidding you. We would play the stage would have a pole on it in a lot of these little towns. It was, and, and a lot of the, the, the girls, the dancers, they were on the same circuit as we are. So we, if we were in Smithers, then we'd, we'd meet them in Dawson Creek or Dawson city. And then we'd see them in grand Prairie. And it was so crazy. And we got to know some of these really funny, we, you know, drink beer in their rooms. And, but anyway, when you know 12 to 13 songs, cause you're in the worst band in the world, you, they're like, you need to talk between songs. <laughs> yeah. Tell your story. Ice would start talking and telling stories. And then we'd play a song and we repeated songs all night long. But as people got drunker, and a lot of times we just jammed. Like we were in one of those bands that we'd play blues in key of G. And we would, and we, the song would be 17 minutes long. And I would make up lyrics. Oh, I love my man. I'm alive. I say I don't. I, yeah. I mean, I knew parts of like Billie Holiday's blues songs. And then we would just morph it in. You can play blues for 20 minutes. And when people are drunk and dancing, they don't know. Oh, yeah. They just want to hear something. Yeah. Oh, they would just, they'd laugh. I would just talk about whatever, being in the town or breaking down on the side of the road. So my shows now, and they really have been, and certainly my professional career the last 30 years are very, very much, if I don't speak the first three or four songs, people start yelling at me, what's happening with your man? How do they run it all? So I, they want me to engage with them and they want me to ask them how they are they want me to ask, does anyone need to go to the bathroom? You know, we're 20 minutes in. My audience is getting older. Who needs to pee? Yeah. And they want that. They don't want me to just do. And listen, I've now got 15 records. And when you tour and you're trying to figure out what songs to play, it is very difficult. Obviously, you want to do singles, you know, songs people are familiar with. But I've got a lot of singles, too. So... My road manager, Chris, and I, we sat here the other day and because the tour has been postponed over the last two years, three times, we've had to revamp the set list again because now I've got a new record out in between everything. So we're trying to just figure it out, but I'll still talk a lot. We'll do a two hour show, but I'll tell you right now, 20 minutes of it is just going to be the Jan shtick, but just talking to people. And, and I mean, it is shtick, but it's never the same. There's no set piece to it. The band has no idea, nor do I know what I'm going to say, but it's liberating yeah. because it's just about storytelling. And that's what a concert is. And if anything, we're living in a time where people really do want to be transported. I'm not going to sit and talk about COVID. 
I'm going to talk about other things and we're just going to play music and we'll get through as much stuff as we can. So did it feel natural when the first comedy opportunity came? You were like, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years already. Yeah, I, it didn't it didn't feel that unusual just yeah. because it was obviously a part of just something that I do. And not every story's got a click, click, boom, kind of a comic thing. Some of them are just, you know, talking about my parents or talking about growing up. I mean, you listen to, you know, was I ever 13 or something like Glass Jar where I'm talking about not knowing my dad. Like I tried to get to know who you were, but you, you wouldn't let me know you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people are always perplexed by the serious nature of what I write musically and how polarizing the person is standing on stage talking to them, but they've, they, it's the same thing. They're very closely related. So it's, it's, it works very well for me. It always has. It's Sarah Burke here, the host of the Women in Media podcast and the founder of the Women in Media Network. Yep, now there's an entire network. I've been working really hard to get things off the ground. And what would I do without coffee? I can barely function without it. But I feel much better about putting a coffee that's full of superfoods in my body. I've been loving the Focus Fuel Instant Mushroom Coffee from Organic Traditions. And of course, all the ingredients are organic. It's packed with lion's mane mushroom to support memory, focus, and cognitive function, adaptogens to nourish your brain, and MCT powder to boost your energy and improve mental clarity. And before you make that face, no, it doesn't taste like mushrooms. It tastes like coffee. Actually better than most. There are hints of cinnamon and vanilla, and it is absolutely delicious. Did I mention it also just won Best New Mushroom Enhanced Beverage in a 2024 Brand Spark survey? Want to try the Focus Fuel Mushroom Coffee yourself? Head to OrganicTraditions.com and use the promo code WOMENINMEDIA20 for 20% off at checkout. And by the way, that applies for the entire site, not just the coffee. You're welcome. Just add water and get at it. What's the hardest piece of you story that you have shared in the spotlight? I think talking about my brother being incarcerated for first degree murder was probably on the very brink of, I don't know if I was ever comfortable, but I was also not secretive about it. You know, he was in jail for almost three decades. The The same month that I signed my record deal with A&M, he was arrested for first degree murder. So, yeah. you know, you think about how do parents, how do they stay together? My, my parents stayed together through all of that. You know, celebrating one child and the other child is in grave danger of whatever. They're, you know, drugs, alcohol, list of crimes that are dumbfounding if you could see it on a piece of paper and then a little brother that's caught in the crossfire of all that got one sister doing this one brother doing that and there he was in the middle do you remember being uh calculated in what you decided to share about it or was it on a whim needed to come out no i just i just spoke to it if i it would always be in a in a q a type of a situation i never i didn't skirt it um, I had people that were very harsh. Uh, I remember Jan Wong, who was a journalist, um, a very renowned journalist. I think it was Globe and Mail she was with, the Nash Pulse. Anyways, she had an interview with me and she, one of her first questions was, how much did I weigh? And her second question was- I'm sorry, you- but fuck you. How- and I think her next question was, how did your brother kill that girl? And I- I just left the interview. 
it's funny, Mary Walsh was there because I was doing a TV show with her at the time. This was 20, long time ago, 26, 27 years ago. And Mary Walsh is like, this is over. Come on, Jan. But I, I talked to Jan a bit, Jan Wong, and she just, she didn't seem to think there was any, I thought we had a good interview. I didn't see, I didn't, didn't see any, and they don't even know that, you know, journalism, how cold and callous and calculated they, they get. Like, is there a human asking these questions behind exactly. this? But I'm used to that. So in the Q&A, and I, I never try to, for one thing, my brother has always maintained his innocence. I need to say that, Sarah. And I don't question that. I don't, I know very little about the case in and of itself, but I know that I went to see him while my parents alive were alive. I drove them up every two weeks to see him for almost 30 years. And he's in a halfway house now. He was just, he's paroled. He, he lost half his foot this year from diabetes and, and a really bad infection. They cut most of his left foot off and they just operated on his arm. And he's had a litany of problems, but it's PTSD and he's so broken down and so institutionalized that I worry about him. I do what I can, but I also can't live his life for mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in and amongst my own joy, and I do, I still love what I'm doing. You know, that's on the periphery, but I don't live there with him. It's his walk to walk. I've never not supported him. I always will through the day I die or he dies. I have absolutely no judgment. My parents taught me that, the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the ability to love without any kind of expectations or we just love them. We love them no matter what he's done. And they were so earnest about it. I learned a lot from my parents. They were good people, flawed mm -hmm. people, but good people. Have you watched the morning show? Yeah. This is reminding me of Reese Witherspoon's character a lot, just yeah. because it, you know, you have, you have a choice at the end of the day to, you know, live in that world with someone else and be defined by it and, and maybe paralyzed by it. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not paddling the canoe with him. You know, I, I can't do that. And he understands that I've always been very, uh, it's yeah. I've just always had lines drawn in the sand of, you know, what I'm able to do and what I'm unable to do. And he understands it. He has no malice either. He has no, he's, and he does live in gratitude. He's, he's a humbled, really good, good person, smart person, but he's, Oh my God. I can't. Can you imagine being in jail for 30 years? I can't. No, I can't. Going back to the journalist and questions like that, that, I mean, there's something to be said about operating that way, whether it's in the nineties or now, like journalists need to remember to be human, even if you need to get a certain story, because I think you and I, as professionals in the media, we understand you have to get a story, but there's a respectful way to do it. Yeah, no, it's just, it's one of those things that stands out when I, when I think back and I've, I think I lost track, but I think I've been interviewed something like 30,000 times. Oh my God. I'm not surprised. And, uh, you know, there's press junkets that I would do for three or four or five weeks at a time. And there was 30 interviews a day. And so when you start doing the math, it really does add up quickly. Like when I got that number from my publicity department, this was even a few years ago. I'm just like, how is that possible? They're like, it is. Even if there was like 52 minute hits for, for like terrestrial radio. Yeah, you know, you're doing. Ah, oh, we got it. We got sixty stations, uh, sister stations. So we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna do everything this morning, but it's only two minutes each. It'll take us three hours. We'll be done. But that shit adds up. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's flip that coin too. So we talked about, you know, your hardest moment in the spotlight. What's been your proudest moment in the oh, spotlight? I've had just many, many, just thousands. It's it's thousands of seemingly insignificant things. What means the most there, to you in your there, heart? There, there really is so many. I think anytime my mom and dad came to a show, they're, they're not things that people would think. It's not winning anything. It's not awards. I don't care about that kind of stuff. Um, I think getting my record deal, well, I, I just, I remember going down the street. I was just about to turn 30, which is very old in today's standards. It, I wouldn't have had the career that I have now. If I was just starting out now on the brink of being 29, I'd already been in the bars for 11 or 12 years. So I had a ton of experience live by the time I'd, I wasn't a person that was just like, oh, I just learned to play guitar in my bedroom and now I have to go and perform for people. I had been performing for a long time. I knew the ropes. I was a seasoned veteran. When you got the, the deal. Bar. Yeah, bet I was. And, um, I just, I remember that day because they had turned me down and then Alan had a change of heart. It was a long story, but he, he just said, you know, I, I get it now. And I don't know if you'll ever sell a record, but, and A&M at that time, they signed me for 10 records. So I blew through those and then we did another five albums and and uh, the president <laughs> told me like six weeks ago, he goes, as long as you want to keep making records, let's just make them. Let's just do it. <laughs> I'm like, really? Jeff Remedios, he's like, if you want to do a record, Jan, we'll just do it. Let's just keep doing it. He says, as long as you want to keep recording. He said, Universal is here. And it gave me a lump in my throat because I just thought, I don't know how many artists have ever experienced this, but he was so, he's just like, let's just do it. Uh, that's a a music executive though recognizing the the talent for who they are right there well yeah it's just it's uh just being yourself it's like Mm -hmm. i said it's if you want to create somebody which is all fine and well it's all about art or however you want to approach it but man there's nothing easier than standing there i never had to dance or move around uh garth brooks once described himself as a thumb with eyes and fuck did it ever make me laugh (laughs) because and he wasn't at all if you've ever seen a garth brooks show he was one of the first guys i mean pink had nothing on him garth used to fucking come out in cables and he was a big country guy he was swinging around these arenas and he had the wireless microphone i mean he was state-of-the-art way back when state of the art wasn't state of the art yet. And, uh, but my God, he was talking about an interview. He goes, I'm kind of like a thumb with eyes. And I just thought, I, I can run with that. I kind of get that because, (laughs) and then when I saw Adele, you know, 10 years ago, kind of start out in her career, I thought, I love this because she's just standing there singing. She's not trying to cater to, Oh, I better do this. I better have 18 dancers around me. And she stands there and sings. And the the new with, special in LA, right? We saw her do it again. She stands and sings mm-hmm. and she tells these stories and writes her songs and bears her soul. And it's really changed the game. Yeah, for sure. Of it, it, it kind of just set music, I think, back into a comfortable place where young women especially could feel comfortable 
telling stories and writing love songs and not feeling like they had to overtly sexualize everything that they did. And um, I mean, I love seeing JLo. My, it was like seeing an X-rated show. I saw that show a couple of times in Vegas because one friend wanted to see it. And then six months later, my other friend, I'm like, okay, I'll we'll go, go to JLo again, force me. Yeah. And I, both times through, I'm just like, she's so superbly talented. She didn't sing a note live, but whatever, whatever blows your skirt up. Yeah, but it was just a highly sexualized, fantastic show. Mm-hmm. You know, in the back of your mind, you're like, "I wish I could be like that in some part of another realm." But that's not what it is. But it's sure fun to see other people tap into what what they're capable of. And but but Adele has sent great messaging. I think I love that too. Okay, so we only got a couple minutes here, and um, the way that I love to end this podcast, it's it's almost like a nomination. So I want to hear a couple women that you think would have amazing stories to share on this podcast uh, who are in the media in some way, shape or form. I think Jody Vance. Okay. And for those who don't know the names, maybe give a little bit about Jody Vance is a journalist. Uh, I think she's working with Al Jazeera right now, but she's an incredible journalist. She's uh, very philanthropic. She's a, uh, she's a radio host. She does, um, she does talk radio sometimes sits in for people. She's done a lot of sports reporting, like she's, uh, you know, a mom and has a partner. Um, uh, she's a dog lover. She's just, she's lived, lived a life. Her, her dad had Alzheimer's and she dealt with so much stuff with him and having him into, you know, care and then going into COVID. And she's, I think, really fascinating. And another woman I think is, is incredible. Her name is Wendy Williams Watt. She lives in Vancouver. She's an incredible artist. She's an incredible marketer. Um, she had a store called Liberty for many, many years in Vancouver where she just had the most amazing stuff in her store. And it was people like Jennifer Aniston. I mean, so many celebrities came there to get stuff. But I mean, that's tip of the iceberg. Wendy is, uh, she was absolutely responsible for my horseship campaign that I've been doing with the Canadian Horse Defense. And um, it's just to stop draft horses from being flown to Japan to be slaughtered, to be eaten raw. And she's the one that just came up with this whole thing to get people's attention. And now it's been mandated by the federal government to ban live horse exports to Asia. And Wendy had everything to do with that. Just the way she just, she's an amazing interior designer. She's an amazing like an artist in her own right, just big pieces. Like she just did something um, in Vancouver. She tied massive red bows across the, this bridge on every pillar and, and just gave people this lift of what are those, what is that? Like this beautiful crinoline. <clears throat> she just does really cool stuff. There's a she's turning some heads. Yeah. Hmm. She's really turning some heads and she's, she's my age. Wendy's my age. But she's one of the most, she's a very fascinating woman in the arts and very kind of under the, under the radar. She's, and she does something called the also big love ball known all over the world. The Kardashians had them. I mean, it went crazy with these massive spheres that you would blow up with the word love. And she had all this merchandising around the idea of love and sharing love. And um, of course, when the Kardashians had 40 of these fucking balls that, at their party all hell broke loose and <laughs> wendy's sight could hardly keep up 
with people wanting to order these things. That'd be an interesting story to hear about. Like what? Then, what? The exactly. And then yeah. she just moved on from it. She's like, oh. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm, I'm, I want to do some other really big permanent pieces that are out in the world. So it's going to be really, really fascinating to see okay. what she does. She's cool. a really good person. Oh my gosh. I mean, I know she wouldn't do it. <laughs> That's okay. But I, Anne Marie, I, I just think her career was so, I just watched her CBC special and the life that she, the way that she kicked doors down for every single woman who's in music in Canada. It's just, it's unbelievable what happened in the 60s and the 70s and how the whole geography of Canadian music changed because of what she was doing, what Joni Mitchell was doing, Leonard Cohen, Neil Young. Gordon She's in that Cohen. circle, yeah. It's there, there was literally this many people that started the entirety of our industry because we weren't really thought of that way. We were this little quiet country off in the great white North that, you know, I don't know, trapped beavers and ate meat, but <laughs> it's, uh, she really was, I mean, trailblazer. I hate when people throw that word around her, you know, it's, she really, really literally was. And to her own detriment, you know, she had kids she never saw and her marriage ended and, you know, money kind of squandered and all those great tales that she's. The journey that on. makes her the woman that she is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just really one of the best singers on the planet, bar none. Picking up what you're putting down. Well, thank you so much <laughs> for giving me the time uh, to talk about your new record, Descendant. A lot of the themes on that record are perfect discussions uh, for this type of podcast. And thanks for always just being real. I think it's so refreshing. And, you know, when I listen to your podcast, I, I like what I hear that I'm literally just hearing like someone I can relate to. There's no show. It's just Jan. I love well, it. Kate, Caitlin Green is, she's really fun to talk to. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great, you know, she does so much work on the show, getting the guests and we, we have a great time. I have excellent laughs just doing that. I never know what the hell we're going to be talking about. We always have a plan, like, and then we hit record and I'm like, oh my God, where did we go today? We, we fail every single time. <laughs> oh God. Thank you so much for the time. Super appreciate it. And congrats on the new record. Okay. Well, I hope to see you soon, Sarah. Does it get any better than Jan Arden? Now there's a woman in media who is willing to say it just like it is. My favorite line was just buy bigger pants. For more information on her new record, Descendant, you can head to the episode notes or my new home for all this stuff, womeninmedia.ca. That'll take you directly to the podcast page of my new website. You can find out more about previous guests and drop me a line if you have any questions. Thank you so much for listening. And until next episode, make sure you check out the new record from Jan Arden called Descendant out Friday, January 28th. I'm Debbie Travis. And I'm Tommy Smythe. And this is Trust Me, I'm a Decorator. 
We're now podcasters. And why did we call it that? Well, you know us as decorators, but we've got lots more to share. We want to talk about travel and relationships. We're going to have amazing guests on. Guests who inspire us for sure. We'll probably talk about design too. And of course, Tommy, don't forget about food. Oh my gosh, how did I forget about food? So please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or as they say, wherever you get your podcast. And we'll pop right up when we have a new episode. Where's us luck? This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.